You're listening to a podcast from the South China Morning Post. So I, I will have to say it very clearly that we have no plans for any widespread city lockdown, as uh, you have seen in some of the uh, other uh, places. That's Hong Kong Chief Executive Carrie Lam speaking earlier this week. She was addressing one of the big rumors that was swirling around her government as speculation mounts about what she is going to do as Omicron surges and the health system is pushed to a breaking point. But outside on the streets of Hong Kong, people are facing a much more pressing problem. You are standing in a queue on a street in Hong Kong. The queue stretches for two entire city blocks. You and everyone here are waiting to be tested because you have received a message through the Leave Home Safe app on your phone. It tells you that you were in a building, cafe, or restaurant at the same time as someone who has tested positive for the Omicron variant. You wait five hours in the queue, and finally you get tested. You head home, and a day later you get a result. It's negative. Phew. Okay, you don't have to isolate. You don't have to go to the hospital. You won't have to go to the increasingly infamous Penny's Bay quarantine camp. But then you get another alert. Turns out the queue you were standing in for five hours included people who tested positive, and now. You are required to get tested again. Experiences like this have been posted on social media in Hong Kong every day this week as people confront the reality of a health system that is overloaded and under huge stress. Testing labs cannot keep up with the demand for result. Asymptomatic patients are now being placed in tents or even just in wheelchairs, with blankets to cover them in the parking lots of overcrowded hospitals. Emergency talks are being held with the taxi industry to organize transport of people to and from clinics. And COVID infections in truck drivers have crippled the delivery of fresh fruits and vegetables from the farms in mainland China to Hong Kong. In some parts of our city, supermarket shelves are empty. In others, the price of basic vegetables has increased by 300% in the past week. It is a multi-level crisis that is now escalating day by day. On Tuesday, the world was shocked by images of elderly people in hospital beds on the streets outside of major hospitals. On Wednesday morning, Hong Kong received the very public attention of China's President Xi Jinping. Pro-Beijing media in Hong Kong carried a statement that Xi Jinping had quote emphasized that Hong Kong must earnestly take the main responsibility and make it the overriding priority to stabilize and control the epidemic as soon as possible. Last week, we spoke about Hong Kong's dynamic zero-COVID strategy being at a crossroads. This week, it feels more like we're on a roller coaster. 
Hong Kong lawmakers are throwing all sorts of ideas around in response to Xi Jinping's unprecedented comments about the situation here, from using drones to deliver food and medicine to using empty cruise ships for quarantine. But late last night, there was a new twist. The Hong Kong government is seriously thinking of testing every single person in Hong Kong or seven and a half million people three times. It's the same approach that's been done in cities across mainland China in conjunction with citywide lockdowns. Last week, we spoke about Hong Kong's dynamic zero COVID strategy being at a crossroads. This week, it feels more like we're on a roller coaster. Welcome to our latest Hong Kong edition of the Inside China podcast. My name is Mimi Lau. And as always, a reminder to you that the latest updates on this developing story are being published on scmp.com and posted on our SCMP Twitter and Facebook accounts. This week, I've got a fresh update for you from one of our colleagues who is attending the daily press conferences of the Hong Kong government and health authorities. And you are also going to hear from two different people who are very closely associated with Hong Kong. One is a senior business executive and representative of the international business community who very publicly quit Hong Kong last year. The other is a senior academic and health expert who is currently trying to get back into Hong Kong, but she is stuck in a city that has just spent two months getting past its own Omicron crisis. You are going to hear the contrast in experience and perspectives. But first, let's hear from my colleagues who have been following the latest developments. We'll start with Gigi Choi from the Hong Kong desk. She's been attending the daily press conferences from the Hong Kong government and health authorities. Gigi, in your story published last night, you refer to 10,000 patients currently waiting to be admitted to hospitals. What is the latest situation right now as we speak? Hi, Mimi. Yeah, so that estimate includes uh, both confirmed and preliminary positive patients in Hong Kong who are waiting to be admitted to public health facilities. So how we calculated that 10,000 figure is um, adding the number of confirmed and preliminary positive cases, then subtracting the number of people who are currently in hospital or other government facilities, uh, those who have been discharged, and also factoring in COVID deaths as well. And you're right, uh, the health authorities are completely overwhelmed. The uh, Department of Health has admitted that it's laboratory was overwhelmed with a backlog of uh, test samples to be confirmed. And they've said two days in a row now that, well, they've suggested that it can no longer reflect the actual situation. And Dr. Chuang Shukwan yesterday said that uh, the health department can only confirm 75% of preliminary positive cases within 24 hours. And she said that about 650 specimens sent on Sunday have yet to be confirmed. So things are uh, quite bad, lots of backlog in the test labs. And they've also changed the policy of confirming preliminary positive cases. They've said that any test done by the hospital authority no longer needs to be confirmed by the uh, health department's lab. But in terms of tests done by private labs, that still needs to be confirmed by the Department of Health. 
so Gigi, we're looking at a lot of um, news pictures showing how local hospitals are overflowing with suspected Omicron cases. How is that affecting the rest of the public health system in terms of urgent and elective surgeries? Are they being reprioritized or rescheduled? Uh, so the hospital authority has uh, pulled back on non-emergency services already. And uh, they've been telling COVID patients who are have mild symptoms or young, like those people are being told to stay home and wait patiently. The hospital authority has prioritized admitting uh, children, the elderly or those in serious condition. Hospital beds are being reserved for those people. And everyone else is you know, being told to wait patiently at home. And you mentioned uh, crowding outside hospitals. Yeah, that's true. Um, for example, yesterday we reported that uh, Caritas Medical Center in Chem Chai Po, uh, their capacity was completely overwhelmed. It was at 110%, which is not ideal. Uh, we've seen people uh, confirmed for uh, preliminary patients having to wait, uh, get treated outside Baltimore Hospital in the morning. It was really cold and they had to use uh, foil blankets. So you, you just have a bunch of patients outside hospitals now you know, waiting in beds or sitting in chairs or in tents set up by the hospital authority just to segregate non-COVID patients with confirmed or suspected COVID patients just to avoid cross-infection in public hospitals. There's another story that has people talking right now that is the truck drivers with fresh fruit and vegetables unable to get across the border into Hong Kong. What is the latest update in that? Carrie Lam said on Tuesday that about 20% of uh, 8,000 local cross-border drivers um, who have been transporting fresh food from the mainland to Hong Kong have either been infected or have to undergo quarantine. So now what's interesting is Hong Kong's looking to ease the crunch on fresh food supplies by transporting goods from mainland China by sea. And um, we've asked industry leaders about that, and they said that method could bring in about 70% of the original volume of veggies. You know, we've seen on social media that there's pictures of, uh, you know, empty supermarkets. And but that's not the case in all shops, uh, because I've been to some grocery stores recently and there, there are veggies. I guess it just depends on which area you're in. Same here um, where I live in the new territories. Um, there seem to be no change in veggie and fruit supply, as well as as prices as well. Things looking quite stable at my end. A couple of days ago, we had some isolated uh, reports of panic buying. So we did see some pictures on social media, but it just seems like an issue that we need to keep monitoring right now. Uh, the government has kept telling people, reassuring them, like, you know, don't panic. Like, we're trying to get a hold of the situation and um, we'll see how things are to come. Well, thank you so much, Gigi, for your time. Uh, we look forward to having you back in the future episode. Thank you for having me. We have William Zhang here, our senior correspondent with the China desk of the South China Morning Post. William is an old China hand. He has been following all the support program China has been offering to Hong Kong to combat Omicron pandemic outbreak. This morning, we've heard President Xi Jinping's comment that Hong Kong must earnestly take the main responsibility and make it the overriding priority to stabilize and control the epidemic as soon as possible. 
And he has also instructed Beijing and Guangdong authorities to handle requests made by Hong Kong. Can you recap for us what are the main support China has pledged to Hong Kong in order to help the city to overcome the Omicron outbreak? Yeah, uh, basically there are five uh, directions. Uh, that Hong Kong is quite desperately needs help. I think uh, uh, the first of all is the highly inadequate uh, testing capacity. So uh, Ming Lang has is currently discussing with Hong Kong to see that what are the best ways that it can help the city to beef up all the testing capabilities to preferably over 300,000 a day. If we could do better, maybe half a million or a million a, a day, that's quite uh, important for Hong Kong to sieve up all these uh, infected or confirmed cases. After sieving out the cases, the next step is we need uh, the facilities to hold them and to treat them. So obviously there is a case of um, uh, how can we find a place to host all these people, which now, according to everyone's estimation, at least 10,000 people are waiting for treatment and quarantine facilities there. So this is really two desperate things that uh, without Beijing's help, Hong Kong won't be able to put it off very quickly. Thirdly, would be the contact tracing capabilities. Currently in Hong Kong, the way to trace is largely uh, by phone calls and uh, and uh, by asking questions. But of course, that's given Hong Kong's own privacy rules and all that, right? But in mainland, they have a huge big data system where by press of the button, it, it's not as simple as that, but it's much, much more efficient to see for large quantities of close contacts and, and all that. So Hong Kong would be also consulting mainland on these issues. Is there any way that Hong Kong can do its contact tracing and all this much faster and more effectively? Uh, fourthly, about our vegetable price and, uh, and uh, our, uh, the, the fresh food price, because uh, the current uh, situation is, uh, we, we continue to see the cross-border truck drivers who are very critical to the food supply to Hong Kong. And many of them are infected with COVID. Now, because of the some of the infections, many others are quarantined out of action. So now what can we do, right? Uh, so uh, that needs a lot of coordination from Hong Kong and Shenzhen side to make sure the uh, the borders uh, continue to be open where uh, such uh, fresh food supply can continue to be uh, to reach Hong Kong market. And uh, the last but not least, but I would say this is the easiest, is supplying all the uh, PPEs and uh, masks and uh, uh, sanitizers. I would assume that China has stocked up lots of such things. So I don't think that's that would be a big problem. But the problem is how to arrange the right things to be sent to Hong Kong, where number one, it suits Hong Kong's needs. Number two, the logistic transport of such goods. And in Hong Kong, where are we going to store them? That's another issue. So all these five aspects are the five things that's been identified. And Hong Kong government and the mainland officials are forming five key task force to work on this specifically. William, back in COVID first, started in Wuhan, uh, China built a temporary hospital in record time. 
Is there a similar plan being planned for Hong Kong as well? Yes, uh, actually we have been uh, trying to ask around for the past few weeks, basically. And there are three potential sites, if not four, okay, three potential sites has been shortlisted. But I think looking at the pros and cons of all the sites, personally, I think the Penis Bay extension would be the most, uh, would be the fastest to execute and it can give around 10,000 beds, uh, which uh, provides fairly functional capabilities. Well, you, you can't expect too much luxuries there, but all the basic functionalities will be there. And uh, very importantly, actually, the, the main constraint many people didn't realize is the sewerage system. As a quarantine center, you, you can't just like discharge all the waters into the sea or into the environment. So the, the sewerage system would be really a critical thing there. Actually, uh, the other side that's being considered is Lomacho, which is near to Shenzhen border. But the problem is the site it does not come with a ready sewerage system yet. And also the site is uh, uh, the road is very near to Shenzhen border. And uh, the road is running with all these uh, cross-border trucks where uh, there are heavy traffic expected. So uh, with our current supply situation, I think uh, the government officials are quite uh, uh, worried that shall we introduce new traffic to the roads, they will jam up the road and hence it will affect our daily supplies. And uh, the third option is uh, Asia World Expo. That has been the site for the previous Hong Kong so-called uh, makeshift hospital. We call it Fang Chang, right? But the problem is within an indoor location, a preferred choice would be build up uh, rooms for each person which is uh, being treated or quarantined so that they don't cross-contaminate each other. In an indoor location, it's a bit harder to execute that. So uh, so um, they are still discussing. I think probably a hybrid model might come out, but from what I see, Penny's Bay will continue to be the preferred choice and the mainland will be definitely helping out in the construction and uh, planning and the running of the, the, the site. I heard uh, quite a few mainland experts who had run major makeshift hospitals in mainland already committed that saying that they will come down to Hong Kong and help with the operation. So help with Sunway. William, uh, thank you so much for that recap of the other help coming from the mainland China to help Hong Kong to overcome um, the Omicron outbreak. In an art development, you know, we, we're used to stories, you know, reading stories that the Hong, Kong's red, red, Hong Kong's red wine, lobsters and cigarettes being smuggled into mainland China. But these days we are reading reports about Hong Kong citizens being smuggled into mainland China to dodge the COVID-19 outbreak. And it is so severe to a level that the Zhuhai authorities today issued a report saying they are stepping up fine for human smugglers and the organizer and the fine will be up to 100,000 yuan. Can you tell us what you know about that? Yeah, uh, this is really ironic. Yeah, um, I think uh, probably a decade ago, people are uh, being smuggled into Hong Kong 
for the better salaries and the better prospect of life and all that. Now, under the current uh, COVID situation, and people have to find uh, find ways to be smuggled out out of Hong Kong and back to the mainland. I have checked with some of the Zhuhai authorities, and they they confirmed that uh, the uh, the the announcement or rather the notice that we have uh, obtained was correct, and they are offering pretty good reward for people who catch the smugglers. What caused this is the bottleneck at the border, where many people queued for days to find a quarantine hotel in Shenzhen in order to to cross the border, and. Having said that, they still face 14 plus 7 kind of quarantine plus health screening period. That's almost a month. But many people are just flocking to the uh, border to just trying to get away from the current wave of outbreaks, especially people with young children. The reason cases, uh, especially the reason uh, casualties, uh, uh, two very young kids who actually uh, died from COVID has shocked many parents that actually I know of because I was included in many of the uh, young parents groups. Many people were very concerned. Uh, We do see cases where mothers carrying young children to the border pleading for a spot. But currently there is a very limited capacity in Shenzhen for the quarantine hotels. Without booking of the quarantine hotel, you can't cross the border basically. I can tell you every day I track the booking situation of the uh, the the Hong Kong's uh, quarantine hotel. It's like lightning, pop, finish. Within the five seconds, 600 slots gone. So many people, when if they can't do it, they are out of options, but they want to get out of the, the, the current wave of outbreak. They just contact the smugglers. Can you send me into whatever? Maybe that's that's one way to get out of Hong Kong illegal way, but I, I can't rule out the possibility that uh, some people are out of desperation. Maybe they just go for that. We look forward to bringing you back for more updates in future. Thank you so much. Sure, no problem. Now, while this Omicron crisis plays out in Hong Kong, there's another crisis that has been building for months. And that's the crisis of confidence in Hong Kong's finance sector, of people who are feeling the string of two years of Hong Kong's harsh quarantine rules. For months, we have read headlines warning that the expats who helped make Hong Kong the international finance capital for Asia and gateway to mainland China are leaving or planning to leave. I want you to meet someone who made world headlines in November last year when she announced she was leaving Hong Kong because she just couldn't do with the three-week quarantine rules anymore. Hi, my name is Tara Joseph. I'm president of the American Chamber of Commerce in Hong Kong. Tara Joseph is now based in Colorado in the USA. This is what she had to tell me about the mood of American business people based in Hong Kong. Can you take us through the poll result released by the American Chamber of Commerce last month? What did that reveal to you? Well, it revealed that there is some consistency in the concerns that individuals in particular, less so companies, have about staying in Hong Kong throughout the pandemic. Uh, It's been a big stress on a lot of people, both personally and professionally. And we are finding that over 40 percent of our membership 
personally feel that they are considering leaving Hong Kong. Did you learn anything new from this or did it confirm what you already knew? Actually, it confirmed uh, what we already knew because these numbers had been coming out previously. And also they corroborate quite well with numbers from other chambers and associations. So what it shows is it's not just Americans that are worried about it, that um, this is a long term issue and it's causing a lot of frustrations and problems. But it's not new. And the poll we took is actually before this latest fifth wave. So the question is, has that number increased? Are there a larger percentage of people who were probably going to tough it out, even though they were considering leaving, who are now saying this is just too much for me and actually thinking about leaving probably around summertime when schools let out? I was just going to ask you, so how does this reflect your own experience? Like your decision to not return to Hong Kong generate a lot of press here. It reflects my own experience. Uh, yes, because I hadn't seen my family for quite a long time. My father was ill and uh, I was very nervous that I may never see him again. And I decided that as much as I love my work, and I love Hong Kong, it's been home to me for over 20 years, I couldn't live with the possibility that I may not be able to say goodbye to my own father. Um, it's my duty and love as a daughter to be there for him. That, that was part of it. Um, and then the lack of connectivity uh, was very stressful for me combined with the notion of quarantine. I feel that quarantine is a huge mental stress a huge cost. And, and personally, I found three weeks unnecessary. I didn't see any scientific justification for it. And I felt that it would put me on edge in a way that just wasn't necessary for both my body and mind. So now that the quarantine restrictions have been shortened from three weeks to two weeks, are you learning or hearing anything new from your members? No, not really, because it's still very, very difficult to travel. If you're traveling from the UK or you're traveling from the US, uh, there are very few flights, there are travel bans, there are complications. When I looked to return to Hong Kong before I made up my mind about whether to stay here permanently, my plan was to go via Singapore, spend two weeks in Singapore, and then to two weeks of quarantine in Hong Kong. Then I realized there were all sorts of things that could go wrong if I did that. Maybe I didn't have the right digital app. I'd had my first two vaccinations in Hong Kong, my third in the United States. What would the Singaporean and authorities say it. What if Hong Kong once again switched what they said and, and changed things around? And I just thought, this isn't worth it. I need some certainty in my life, uh, both professionally and personally. And I'm very happy with that decision, by the way. As much as I miss my colleagues and I miss Hong Kong, it was also very hard not to say goodbye to people in person. So how has that conversation changed with executives and international companies now uh, with the latest pandemic outbreak situation in Hong Kong compared to last month? Are they seeing the light at the end of the tunnel? 
I don't think people are seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. Everything I hear is there's more concern about school closures and more concern about this going on, at least until the CCP meeting in November. There's no KPIs around it. And that, frankly, Hong Kong has not handled it well. Uh, originally, there was a let's tough it out view of, well, we've kept COVID out of Hong Kong, so we can be thankful for that. Um, but that's gone now. And we're coming upon a long period of time where people just have not been able to connect and it, it's getting harder. Mm. So do you think this has damaged Hong Kong as a business and financial capital? And do you think this damage is likely to be quite permanent? Well, it's it's hard to know what permanent means, but I think it has done some damage on top of what was already damage of the last few years, protests, national security law, and now COVID. So it's been a rocky few years. And as this fifth wave comes about, it's like another stroke of pain after all the uh, all the sticking through difficulties that that people have had. Now, you know, memories can be short. COVID should subside at some point. So maybe people will feel that they want to come back. There's business reasons to be in Hong Kong. Um, it still has a very vibrant uh, business community and also a lot of opportunity. Uh, so people may come back and Hong Kong may find its new place as an international hub, a different international hub than it once was, but as an international hub. The real problem here now is that the COVID restrictions have gone on for so long that we have seen positions for executives that might have been based in Hong Kong moved to other centers. Uh, we may see executives say, I don't want to go to Hong Kong. I'm going to go here. And the competitiveness of other centers has ramped up, whereas we're not getting new people from overseas into Hong Kong, and we're losing Hong Kong talent, very strong Hong Kong talent. So that um, means that the, the consistency of Hong Kong as a center for excellence is actually in danger of diminishing. Um, one of the things our members tell us is that hiring talent is a huge problem now. Um, and we'll probably see more mainland China talent come in, a different type of talent uh, into the city. But for the traditional senior executive who chooses Hong Kong as a hub uh, for or to lead a region, it's going to become much more difficult. Actually, when one of our previous episodes, one of our colleagues, Chad Bray, explained that right now in Hong Kong, many people in the banking and finance sectors are receiving their bonuses and really making some big decisions about their future, including the family's future in Hong Kong. Let's just confirm what you're hearing about the business people planning for the families. What's your forecast for the next six months? 
Yeah, the next six months will be interesting. I think there are two major points and maybe three. The first is definitely bonus season. People are going to stick around to 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 take their bonus. That that makes sense. They've put in a lot of work time. So that's number one. The next point is when schools uh, get out for the summer. That's when families tend to leave. And then maybe people will go home, not planning to stay permanently, but decide to stay permanently. Permanently. And then, of course, Christmas or the end of the year is another time. But I think the bonus season and also the period of um, the end of school are going to be big markers. What we're hearing right now is that uh, it is very difficult to be able to book a mover or a container to leave Hong Kong because they're all booked up at when school gets out. Hmm. So is there anything that you think Hong Kong government can do to stop the exodus of um, international businesses and talents? Well, one thing that our survey showed, uh, which is sad, actually, is that people feel that the Hong Kong government actually doesn't care about the international business community. That that is certainly not something that they take seriously. And while they recognize the issues around COVID and other things, that's not their preoccupation at all. It's just about opening the border and that keeping of talent is not a huge issue for them. So the Hong Kong government uh, could really ramp it up and show they care and figure out ways to allow executives and their families to travel. That's number one. Um, number two is to set KPIs and be transparent and open with people. This is the fight. This is what we have to achieve. And this is these are the points that we're going to catch up and tell you how we're doing. Uh, if you've lived out COVID in the United States, and I've been here for certain parts of the wave, The U.S., like many countries, has had ups and downs, successes and failures. But you know what? People have moved on with life and learned how to live with COVID and get on with business and travel. So I think setting up some ability to understand that connectivity is important and also being open and transparent and caring with the international community is very important. Speaking of talent recruitment, there is a global hunt um, for the position to find a replacement for you. What would you say about the future of Hong Kong for a candidate wanting to fill your job? I think the future is open and very interesting for Hong Kong uh, for the next president. Uh, the first year and the first uh, months will be a challenge. Uh, but Hong Kong is an amazing city that finds strength and, and finds ways to go on. We have an amazing new uh, community uh, hub that we're opening, an office that's beautiful. So there's lots of opportunities to do things there. And once COVID subsides, business uh, will show a lot of promise and the future of Hong Kong will also show promise, but but it will be a different period. It will be perhaps a, a less comfortable period for American business as long as the U.S.-China friction is alive, but a very interesting job for whoever wants to take it up. Thank you so much, Tower Joseph, for your time. Thank you.
now I want you to hear from someone with the opposite experience of Tara Joseph. She is trying to get back to Hong Kong, but she is stuck in Melbourne. And right now, Hong Kong authorities have banned anyone from Australia, as well as a number of other countries from landing in Hong Kong. And someone who has been watching Melbourne very closely during this pandemic is my producer, Jared Watt. Thanks, Mimi. You know, for the past two and a half months, I've watched my old hometown of Melbourne go through almost exactly the same crisis that Hong Kong is living through now. Now, you described the experience this week as being like a roller coaster for me and for a lot of people from Melbourne living here in Hong Kong. It's like watching a horror movie for the second time where you know what's about to happen next. So don't forget Melbourne has lived through the longest and toughest city lockdowns in the world. And that includes mainland China over the past two years. So when does it start going wrong for Melbourne? Having successfully beaten the latest outbreak of the Delta variant, having you know, flattened the curve, as we used to say, and smashed vaccination records, it was just before Christmas last year that the Omicron variant landed. And these are the things I saw my family and friends go through in Melbourne. And it's very, very familiar to people in Hong Kong, I think. First, there was massive queues for PCR testing in the lead up to Christmas with people who are close contacts or just concerned about the virus and, and giving it to elderly relatives. They were all queuing up for five, six, seven hours at a time trying to get tested. And then the testing labs got overwhelmed by the sheer numbers of people. So the government declared PCR testing is finished. We're moving to rapid tests. This will, of course, start sounding familiar to you. And then we found out that the national government had not planned ahead and hadn't ordered enough rapid tests. So there was a mad rush to try and source them. In fact, I had people from Tasmania as well as Melbourne trying to contact me in Hong Kong to try and buy some to send to Australia. And then we had reports of empty shelves in supermarkets across Melbourne. And it wasn't because of panic buying. It was because so many truck drivers, supermarket staff were testing positive or receiving close contact alerts on their phones and having to self-isolate till they could get tested. But most seriously, Mimi, is what we saw in our hospitals in Melbourne, and we're starting to see it now in Hong Kong, and that everything that our nurses warned about if the virus was allowed to get loose came true, because there were so many people hospitalized with this so-called mild variant that we saw all elective surgery canceled, wards were shut down, and it wasn't just because of the surge in cases, we saw huge numbers of our doctors and nurses having to self-isolate when they tested positive. And worse, we had days when there were just no ambulances available because there was no staff to drive them. Jared, I know for a fact that you're stuck in a tiny flat on the western end of Hong Kong Island. Can you tell me more about this person who is stuck down in Melbourne trying to get back into Hong Kong? Well, this is someone I met at a, a gig here in Hong Kong back when we had live music in 2021. Wasn't that a long time ago? We became friends on social media, as you do, and here's Vivian. Sure, I'm Vivian Lin. I'm Executive Associate Dean at the Faculty of Medicine at the University of Hong Kong. And I've been in Hong Kong since March 2019, an exciting time to have arrived in Hong Kong. Previous to that, I was... Uh, uh, from 2013 to 2018, Director for Health Systems at the WHO uh, Regional Office uh, for the Western Pacific Region. And prior to that, I was uh, Chair of Public Health at La Trobe University in Melbourne. 
Now, Vivian's had an epic journey. She landed in the week before Christmas in Melbourne and had a return flight all lined up with her booking for a quarantine hotel back here in Hong Kong. 24 hours after she lands, her return flight is cancelled. She bounces back. She books another flight to return to Hong Kong, still all lined up with a quarantine hotel. And then... And then, of course, I had my second cancellation when the, the flight ban uh, was imposed. So I was rebooked on the 5th of February, which was right after the ban was meant to be lifted. I got my third cancellation when the ban was extended. The next flight out is the 20th of Feb. It's the only flight out of Australia for all of February. I cannot get on it. And of course, if the government decides to extend that ban again, then the next, there is one flight out of Australia in March from Sydney. And then after that, the next flight is in April. And this is a bit of what she witnessed in Melbourne just as Omicron came through the city in late December. Well, I was very concerned coming to Melbourne um, because I saw the cases rise and Hong Kong felt very safe and Melbourne uh, felt like the land of COVID, even if Melbourne was in fact much better than the rest of the world. Vivian found herself and her family going through an experience that's increasingly familiar to Hong Kong people right now. My son got a message to say he needed to go for PCR testing because he had been at a place where there were positive cases. He was immediately in a panic because this is what happens to people when they get told that they, they might be a contact. On the other hand, the rational part of him said, but I was at a test center, so of course there would be people with positive cases. Luckily, at that stage, there was one rapid antigen test kit at home. He tested, he was negative, he could relax for the night and not worry. And then the next day, he had a message to say, ignore the last message, you were at a testing site. And just before Christmas, the testing facilities in both Melbourne and Sydney were under huge strain as thousands upon thousands of people did what they were told and lined up to get a PCR test. So it was Christmas Eve morning and we're all organising the dinner at home. And my eldest daughter texted and said, I, I have to miss the dinner tonight because I'm actually now three hours in a PCR testing queue because I was texted in the morning about having been a possible contact when I went to a bakery five days ago. I was in the bakery for about five minutes, but now I have to be getting a PCR and then I have to self-isolate. She not only missed Christmas Eve dinner, but she also missed Christmas dinner because she did not get her result until 60 hours later. So Melbourne, certainly at that point in time, was shambolic. The system was just not prepared. As I understand, the system was simply overwhelmed. There was X amount of tests they could cope with per day, and then that doubled, tripled, quadrupled as so many more people reported. I mean, from what you've seen in Melbourne over the past six weeks, how do you extrapolate that for what is to come for Hong Kong? Hong Kong is just today, as I speak with you, reported 1,000 cases. 
Melbourne, on the other hand, says it's past the Omicron peak and only has 5,500 new cases to report today. What can you extrapolate from what you've seen in Melbourne these past few weeks as to what's coming to Hong Kong? Well, I think one of the things that Australia had to learn was don't require a PCR test of everyone. And uh, so Australia has now pivoted to having the rapid antigen test for people. Of course, they do have to report that in Victoria so that it is counted as the total numbers. But clearly, there is a more efficient way to do this. Uh, now, Melbourne had a huge, huge problem on the supply of rats. Um, and again, you know, what should the government here have done to anticipate a series of different scenarios? How should they have communicated with the community about the, these different scenarios? I think these are all, you know, lessons to be learned. And also, you know, it's not just a health issue. It's something that affects especially the uh, service sector and the FNB sector. So, you know, how do they actually coordinate the various policy responses? I think these are really important lessons. So, Mimi, Melbourne had been through 250 days of lockdown in the year and a half preceding this, including nighttime curfews and restrictions on how far they could travel from their homes each day. But under the Omicron variant, there wasn't an official lockdown. There was this thing that people called the shadow lockdown, as everyone just chose to stay at home. I think that when we look at what people did, they they stayed home. There's a certain degree of consciousness that people had, which I think perhaps came out of the fact that they were locked down for so long that the level, level of health consciousness or health literacy in the population actually had really increased. And everywhere you go, you know, there's the conversation about, have you had your booster shot? Uh, and which one did you have? You know, um, it's really very much part of the, the daily consciousness. It's very interesting. You raised that point about the booster shots in everyday conversation in Melbourne. Of course, they have a range of boosters to choose from. And also the definition of fully vaccinated, we think is about to change in Melbourne. It will mean three shots, not just two. Now, Hong Kong's a long way behind that. I mean, what's your perspective on, on the vaccination rates in, in Hong Kong? Well, you know, I, I think for me, it's quite interesting that the question is, what's the incentive for the different groups of people? You know, we saw in Hong Kong an uptake once there were prizes to be won, whether it was an apartment or a Tesla car or an antique Rolex watch. So that clearly appeals to a certain group in the community. Then I think there was a next, you know, increase in uptake when you had to have your shots in order to have your morning dim sum. So that clearly caters to another demographic. So I think the question is, where are the anthropologists and sociologists who could actually tell us how we work best with different parts of a very diverse community. You know, in, in Melbourne, the big carrot for most people was, we're going to re remove the restrictions and lift the lockdown once we get to a vaccination rate of 90%. So every day besides the case reporting, there was this focus on 
we're 70, we're 80, we're 90. But the context in Melbourne is different from Hong Kong because the context in Melbourne was the fact that people had such long lockdowns. So understand what, what are the right incentives for different groups, I think is very important. That's all for this week's Inside China. Every day, there are new developments, new announcements, new plans for Hong Kong, especially in a time like this. And be sure that you will get all of these critical updates on scmp.com around the clock. You can also follow me on Twitter at GZMimi. These really are testing time for Hong Kong and certainly not easy ones for the Hong Kong people. But we are going to get through this together. As we say in Cantonese, Gayao, don't give up. Stay safe and stay informed, and I'll see you next week. Bye bye.